Gonzaga took care of business on Thursday against San Diego, getting a chance to rest starters ahead of Saturday's monumental game against the St. Mary's Gales. It's college game day, and it is for all the marbles. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to give you daily reports through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of the Locked On Podcast Network. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. All right, happy Friday to those of you listening on Friday. A little bit later today, coming out for those of you who are living on the west side of the Oregon-Washington mountains, you know that it is very, very snowy out, so I had some stressors this morning, uh, so apologize for the show being a little bit late, but we got ourselves a really fun weekend of basketball to talk about. We're first going to talk about Gonzaga's win over San Diego. They took care of business, did what they needed to do in that one. We're going to preview the St. Mary's game, give some five keys to that one, and take a look at Gonzaga's history throughout college game day. Two and three in the five games they have played in that. What does it mean for them ahead of Saturday's matchup? First up, though, the Zags did do what they needed to do, like we said, on Thursday at the McCarthy Athletic Center against Steve Lavin and the San Diego Toreros. First matchup between those two teams this season. I kind of talked on on Thursday's episode about making sure the team avoided kind of looking ahead. And, and Drew Timmy actually talked about this on the Gimme Timmy podcast as well, kind of said he gave a speech to the team about, hey, we got to make sure we're taking care of business here. Can't be losing this game going into Saturday's game, all that good stuff. Well, Drew held up his end of the bargain. That's for darn sure. 22 points, 13 rebounds in just 23 minutes of action. It was basically perfect. The Zags, 97-72 for the victory for them, by the way, 25-point wins. Sure seems like they weren't looking too far ahead in this one. And this is kind of exactly what we wanted to see. We wanted to see the Zags starters dominate, play well, do what they needed to do, and get off the court and let Dominic Harris, let Ben Gregg, let Colby Brooks, Hunter Salas, all of those guys get some opportunities uh, to play more minutes than normally than they normally do. And, and it worked out really, really well. Uh, Drew Timmy, again, 22 and 13, eight of those 13 rebounds were offensive, a career high in offensive rebounds for Drew, and he tied the school record. School record previously held by both Roni Turioff and Abdullahi Kuso. Those two guys had each grabbed eight offensive boards in a game previously. Drew now tied them as well. He was not the only front court player who had an absolutely fantastic game. We got to talk Ben Gregg. We got to talk Ben Gregg. Ben Gregg was an absolute monster in this game. Came off the bench 18 points in 18 minutes. He had seven rebounds. He had a block. He was seven of nine from the field. This guy's the future. I mean, I talked recently on an episode, I think last week, maybe two weeks ago, kind of projecting what Gonzaga's lineup rotation, everything might look like next year. Obviously, it's way too early to really do that firmly, but I kind of mentioned, hey, if Drew Timmy does leave, the Zags might look for a, a transfer to, to maybe step into a starting role. Ben could start. If Anton leaves, he might come off the bench next year. I'm starting to lean towards Ben Gregg's going to start next year. I think it sure looks like it after a performance like this. He's so dynamic offensively. He can shoot threes. He had one pretty horrendous air ball. But other than that, he shot very well from deep. He takes good shots. He makes good decisions with the basketball. He is such a hard-nosed, tenacious player. He's a fantastic offensive rebounder. He's still got some work to do in terms of defensive positioning, using his body, all of that stuff. But I remember so many Gonzaga bigs who started their collegiate career 
really struggling with defensive positioning. Shemek Karnowski struggled with it. You've seen a handful of other guys really struggle. Even Drew struggled with it early. And they get better over time. And I think that we're already seeing that with Ben and we're going to continue to see that growth from him to the point where he may never be an, he's probably not going to be an elite rim protector ever. I just don't think that's his game, but a solid low post defender, as well as a tenacious rebounder, uh, a guy who can score multiple different ways that makes him really, really valuable. And I think there's a very good chance now after seeing a performance like this, and we've seen, you know, glimpses of this from him before, he could start next year and he could be a high usage guy for the Zags. Depending on what Drew Timmy does, we know he could come back. Depending on what Anton Watson does, we know he could come back as well. I think there's a good chance for Ben to play. I don't think both those guys are coming back. That would be very surprising. And I think there's a good chance that Ben really steps into a significant role next year. And we saw a glimpse of what that could look like in this performance on Thursday against the Toreros. Uh, Anton deserves some love here as well. Eight points, five boards, four assists, and two steals. Once again, if for some reason you're out there with a WCC fantasy basketball squad or a college basketball fantasy lineup, you're always going to want Anton Watson. He has a little bit of everything in every single game. Well, there's a reason we led with the front court because that's what really dominated in this game. And the back court really didn't. And that's kind of the biggest concern coming out of this game was that the guard play just wasn't great. And every game is not going to feature every single player playing great. Gonzaga won this game by 25 points. They did what they needed to do. They didn't play any of their starters significant minutes. I think it's hard to nitpick too much. Having said that, the Zags were 7 of 26 from deep. San Diego, Steve Lavin, they had a plan. Their plan was to go zone, force Gonzaga to shoot over the top, and see if they could get them to miss a bunch of threes. Plan executed. It worked. That's what they wanted to do, and it worked. They wanted to force Gonzaga to settle for outside shots over the top of the defense. Gonzaga missed 19 threes in this game. If I told you before the game that Steve Lavin ran and, ran and executed a zone defense, forced Gonzaga to shoot less than 27% from three, you might not think that they necessarily won, but I bet you wouldn't think it was a 25-point victory for the Zags. And the reason for that, quite simply, is that Steve Lavin's team was incapable of rebounding out of the zone. That's what it came down to. Gonzaga's zone offense wasn't great in this game, but their offensive rebounding was. Again, Drew Timmy had eight of them. That's where most of his points came from, was on the offensive glass. Ben Gregg had three offensive rebounds as well. Gonzaga is probably not going to get away with shooting that poorly against a zone in the NCAA tournament, should they face one? Because most teams are probably not going to be that bad at rebounding. Worth pointing out, San Diego, their leading rebounder, Eric Williams, he didn't play in this game. He's the conference's leading rebounder. He leads the WCC in rebounding, and he did not play. So something to keep an eye on. St. Mary's not going to play a zone. We know that. That's not really their MO. But the Zags could see a zone in the NCAA tournament. You can't miss 19 threes against a zone defense in the NCAA tournament and expect to win. It's probably not going to happen. Now, Gonzaga's guards have historically been much better than this. Rasir Bolton was 0 of 6. He had an uncharacteristically rough night, and it happens. We've seen that from him periodically this year. Uh, it, it's something that really needs to be tightened up before the NCAA tournament. He can't be having uh, 3 of 9 from the field type game. 7 points. He had 7 assists. I don't think his performance was awful. I don't think his, the shot selection was bad. He just wasn't knocking him down. He hit nothing but backboard on one of them. Just, just an off night from him shooting from the field. Julian Strother was fantastic again, 17 points, 6 of 10 shooting. He was 3 of 4 from deep. The rest of the team, 4 of 22. Just not a good shooting night. Hickman had 10 and 5, a nice solid performance from him, but he was 1 of 5 from deep as well. So that would be the nitpicking part of this game. Gonzaga's outside shooting wasn't really there. The guards didn't again didn't take a bunch of bad shots didn't have a whole bunch of turnovers anything like that 
they just didn't didn't put the ball in the hoop. And Gonzaga's going to need them to put the ball in the hoop. That's going to need to be uh, not just when we get to the NCAA tournament, when we get against St. Mary's as well. That's going to be a big factor. We're going to talk about that in the second segment. The Gales pounded Pacific. Both these two teams had kind of look-ahead games on Thursday. It was like, oh, is either of these teams going to going to struggle against a bad opponent because they're they're looking ahead to Saturday? Was not the case. St. Mary's took care of business against Pacific. Gonzaga took care of business against San Diego. Now we get to talk about the big matchup. Before we do that, though. Today's episode of the Locked On Zags podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. The midway point of the NBA season is here, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes trained. Maybe you like DeMontis Sabonis to keep putting up huge numbers. He had a triple-double against the Blazers on Thursday evening. Maybe you like Zach Collins in his new role with the Spurs to keep up the production. Maybe you want to make an exclusive bet like Corey Kispert hitting two threes in the first three minutes of Washington's next game. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, segment two, still any patents, still locked on Zags, and we're still here talking Zags, Gales, we're getting into it. College game day in the house. They showed up on Thursday evening. The bus was there anyway. They are going to be there 6 a.m. Doors open for fans who want to check it out. I unfortunately will not be in Spokane this weekend. I'm very bummed about that. It's going to be an absolute electric party. Send me pictures, send me videos, send me whatever you want. I want to feel like I'm there, and I'm excited to hear from all of you who get a chance to participate in this event. What I want to talk about here is my five keys to this game. Having already seen a Gonzaga-St. Mary's game this year, we know what things the Gales are going to attempt to do. We know what things worked and what things didn't work against them, what things worked for them. So I kind of want to talk about what I'm going to be watching for most closely in this game. First up, I think the Zags got to let Julian cook. And most of the time, one of my first keys for every game is to let Drew Timmy cook. And don't get me wrong, Drew's going to need to have a big game here as well. He was very, very good against this team last time, 23 points on eight of 14 shooting. But part of the reason Gonzaga struggled and kind of stalled out in the second half was they didn't get much from Julian Strother. He had 10 points in that game, 4 of 11 shooting. He was 0 of 4 from deep. Uh, The Zags only made four threes in that game. They only took 11 of them, so the outside shooting wasn't really there. We'll talk about that more a little bit later. But Julian, since that game, since that game, he has played five games. He has averaged 21.4 points per game. He is shooting 57% on two-pointers and 53.5% from deep. He has been on an absolute heater, not quite the level of Logan Johnson, who has gone absolutely nuclear for the Gales since that game, mind you. He's averaging like close to 25 points per game since then. Uh, But Julian has been an absolute monster lately. We've talked about this extensively on the podcast. He had the 40-burger against Portland. He's had a couple 30-point performances. Has looked really, really good. He is a huge difference maker for Gonzaga against the Gales because efficient shots are how you beat St. Mary's. Julian Strother open from three is an efficient shot. If he can get that look, if he can pull St. Mary's defenders away, if he can kind of lock up Kyle Bowen, Kyle Bowen, the front runner right now for defensive player of the year in the WCC, it's him and Anton Watson. If Strother can force Kyle Bowen to be on him, to be in his grill, and he can still make open looks, but even if he's 
kind of not as featured offensively because of Bowen. If he's forcing Bowen to pay attention to him, that helps the rest of Gonzaga's players. So I think you got to let Julian go. If, if Bowen's not on him, let him get open looks, let him create his own shot, let him take threes, whatever it may be. If he does have Bowen on him and he's getting locked up, let everybody else kind of cook as well. Give that ball to Drew Timmy, let him go to work. Next key here, defending the perimeter. Last game, Aiden Mahaney and Logan Johnson combined to go 2 of 12 from deep, and they still won. That is concerning. Logan Johnson, not a particularly good three-point shooter. I don't think that's a huge part of his game and is not probably not going to be a big part of his game in the kennel. But for Mahaney, stopping him from shooting from deep is, is huge. You want to make them take contested threes if you can. Because those two guys can go downhill as good as anybody. And we saw it with Mahaney the last time these two teams played. He finally kind of... After 35 minutes of struggling in that game, he sort of put it together. He sort of figured out, hey, I can go left. They're they're opening their hips up. They're letting me go left. I'm going to go to the left, and I'm going to make contested shots with my left hand. And those were some ridiculous shots that he makes. Do I think he makes six in a row like that again? I'd like to say no. I'd like to say no. I think it was really, really tough shots. Some of them were over Anton Watson, one of the best defenders in the conference. But I think the best case scenario is you force him to shoot over the top. If he knocks down contested threes and that's how St. Mary's wins, it's going to be frustrating. Don't get me wrong. And I'm sure we're going to hear about it because Gonzaga's three-point shooting uh, or three-point defense has been an issue. But I would rather make St. Mary's beat me that way than let them get to the basket. Mahaney made some circus-style lay-ins, but I'd rather him make deep contested threes. Not open threes, mind you. Certainly we don't want to be doing that. But if if... St. Mary's is using 27, 28 seconds on the shot clock and they're taking a contested three. I'm okay with that. If that's how they win, if they knock those shots down, hats off. That's kind of part of the deal. But I think I'd rather do that than let them get to the rim where Gonzaga doesn't have the kind of rim protection they've had in years past with Brandon Clark, Chet Holmgren, et cetera, et cetera. Next up, kind of on that same note, pressure defense on the guards. Don't let St. Mary's dictate the pace. This has been a frustrating part of these games for many years between Gonzaga and St. Mary's. Randy Bennett, he, he, he knows what he wants to do. And here's the thing. He knows, his players know, Gonzaga's players knows, Mark Few knows, the radio guys know, the broadcasters know, the fans know, the people watching at home. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. Randy Bennett's going to play a slow, methodical, paced offense. They're going to make a lot of passes. They're going to swing the ball around and they're going to take 20 to 25 to 28 seconds off the shot clock the majority of the time. It is what they have been doing for as long as Randy Bennett has been there, which, mind you, is about 20 years now. This is what they do. And Mark Few and the Zags often kind of let them do it. In this game, I think you have to put a little bit more pressure. And you try it, and if it doesn't work, you back off. If Gonzaga puts more pressure, brings Malachi Smith or Hunter Salas or whomever it may be out farther to pressure Mahaney, to force him to get rid of the basketball. If they utilize that and get downhill and get open threes or get open open shots because they're able to exploit mismatches or because they're able to drive past defenders and get a five-on-four situation, if they can do that and they prove it, okay, back off. Then then, then I think we don't try it. But, but I wish we would try it more. I wish the Zags would try it more because I think it could work. I think they have the personnel to potentially do it. And I think with a, with a guy like Aiden Mahaney, he needs the ball in his hands. He's a fine off-ball player. I'm not criticizing him there necessarily, but that's where he thrives. Get the ball out of his hands. Make somebody else beat you. Make Alex Dukas beat you. Make Logan Johnson beat you. He's capable of it, mind you. But I think if you just let Aiden Mahaney dictate the pace, dictate the, the style that they're running, run their offense, get the looks that they want to look, get, or get, 
I think that you kind of run into some trouble that way. So I'm hoping to see Gonzaga put a little bit more pressure on the guards. Uh, they're a little bit more rested right now because they didn't have to play their, their starters as many minutes. Same with St. Mary's, so it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic shakes out. But I think some more pressure is the way to go for the Zags. Next up, this was clearly a key in the last game, and I think something that will come up again here depending on how the officials call this game. But try to get Mitchell Saxon and Kyle Bowen in foul trouble. Two of the best defensive players in the entire conference. Neither of them are elite offensive players. Neither had particularly noteworthy offensive performances. The last time these two teams played, uh, Mitchell Saxon did have 15 points in that last one. Five of five from the field, five of six from the free throw line. So trying to get him out of the game and not letting him be able to get those easy looks around the rim would be ideal. Kyle Bowen only had five points. But again, he's one of the best defensive players in the entire conference. Getting these guys in foul trouble is huge. Drew Timmy is very, very good at finding ways to draw contact around the rim. He's exceptional at this. His free throw shooting has ticked up lately as well. I think he's about 72% in his last five games. But I've, and I've said this on this podcast before, I'm okay with Drew Timmy not being a great free throw shooter if he's continuing to draw contact against good players and forcing them to sit. Young bigs in particular foul Drew Timmy like nobody's business because he knows how to exploit younger players. Mitchell Saxon is not a young player. Mitchell Saxon is very, very good at using his body, using his size, contesting shots as efficiently and effectively as possible without fouling. Having said that, he did foul up last time these two teams played. Granted, he played 38 minutes because the game went into overtime, but he still did foul out. So if Drew Timmy, if you, know, if Efton Reed, Anton Watson, Ben Gregg, whoever's in the game has him on them, if they can draw contact, get him in the air, get him, get underneath them, throw their hands up so they can get some contact from him, that's a huge part of this game as well. Kyle Bowen, also fantastic at using his body, using his frame, his size, without committing fouls. But if they can get some early fouls on either of those guys, send them to the bench, this is not a team with a ton of depth. Wessels and Josh Johnson, their two backup bigs, played a combined nine minutes in an overtime game the last time these two teams played. Last time, again, nobody on Gonzaga's, or excuse me, nobody on St. Mary's bench played more than five minutes except Marcelonis. He's the only one. He played 24 minutes. Everybody else played five, four, four. That's it. That's it. They don't have a ton of depth on this team, and that is the biggest Achilles heel for St. Mary's right now, getting some of those guys in foul trouble, forcing them to go to the bench, forcing them to play some of their depth options. Great way for Gonzaga to potentially pull a victory here. And finally, the last key of the game, another big game from the young star, Ben Gregg. Ben Gregg is a, is a catalyst, is a key part of this game. And he was not much of a contributor the last time these two teams played. He played 11 minutes. He had three points. He made one of Gonzaga's four three-point shots in that game. He had three rebounds and three fouls. And that was it. Avoiding fouls, getting to stay on the court a little bit longer, stretching the defense, all of that stuff is critical. Ben Gregg is also one of Gonzaga's best offensive rebounders. Guess what? Gonzaga only had two offensive boards in an overtime game. The last time these two teams played, two offensive boards, that's it. St. Mary's had 28 defensive rebounds. Gonzaga, two offensive rebounds. St. Mary's is not going to get out in transition. Again, hats off to them if they do. But if I'm Gonzaga, crash the offensive boards. Get your second chance points. You need them. Ben Gregg is great at that. He's great at that. Let him cook. Let him get in there. Get him the basketball. Get him in positions to score. Have him help stretch the defense. If he's the big on the floor... If Mitchell Saxon is guarding Ben Gregg, Ben Gregg should be all over the perimeter, all over the perimeter. And they'll probably put somebody else on him and they probably should put somebody else on him. But if he can find a way to pull St. Mary's bigs away from the rim, create more driving lanes for Rissier Bolton, for Hunter Salas, Malachi Smith, Julian Strother, whomever it may be, that's huge. That's really impactful and important. 
I think Ben Gregg's offensive rebounding and outside shooting ability could be really, really critical for the Zags in terms of finding a way to win this game and breaking the streak for college game day, going up to 500 total in their six appearances in college game day. And that's what I want to talk about in the final segment of the show. The Zags have played in five college game day games. They are two and three. Let's take a look at the history between uh, all of the college game day games, including a matchup between these two teams that took place once right after this. All right, segment three, Stoney Patton still locked on Zags, and we are closing out the show talking about college game day coming to Spokane. Of course, a monumental moment for the program. Always good to have the folks at College Game Day in Spokane, Washington. Always good to have the college basketball world paying attention to what's going on at Gonzaga. This is a fun matchup. Two top 15 teams uh, in the country in Gonzaga and St. Mary's. Uh, All the marbles, WCC championship on the line. How much more fun could it possibly get having Jay Billis, having Reese Davis, having everybody in the house on Saturday. And this has happened before five times. Gonzaga has been featured as a part of college game day. It has been in Spokane twice. It has been in the, at the McCarthy athletic center just once. We're going to go through the history of these five games and talk about what it means for Gonzaga's game on Saturday. First up the first time Gonzaga was featured on college game day, 2006, February 11th, to be specific, 2006 Stanford at Gonzaga Huge matchup there, and the Zags won this one, 80-76. to They've been at the McCarthy Athletic Center just once, and again, it was all the way back in 2006, but hey, guess what? Zags are 1-0. Zags are 1-0 when college game day is in the house. It was the 13th game day ever back then, and it was their first trip to a mid-major school ever. 2006, first time college game day went to a non-Power 5 school's department, went to their stadium, and guess what? Gonzaga won. Reese Davis, Jay Billis, Digger Phelps, Andy Katz on the call for this one. Adam Morrison had 34 in a victory for the Zags. J.P. Batista, who is going to be on the sideline here for the second time. The Zags are in the McCarthy Athletic Center. He's going to be in both. Same with Adam Morrison, for the record. They're both going to be there for both these games. Morrison on the radio call. Batista, of course, as a graduate assistant uh, on the sideline for the Zags. He had 24 the last time these two teams, or the last time uh, this happened here in Spokane. 24 on 10 of 17 shooting. Three years later, the Zags were featured again. This one was in Spokane, but it was at the arena February 8th, 2009. Memphis at Gonzaga. The Zags lost this one by 18. John Calipari once again playing in Spokane, but not playing at the kennel. Got to get a little dig in there. Although, of course, this game was part of a charity event uh, at the arena. So no no hate there. No, no, too much criticism for Calipari. But uh, yeah, I'm glad that the last time he came to Spokane and played at the arena, he did not win by 18. In fact, he did not win at all in that contest. Uh, this was the fourth straight win for Memphis over Gonzaga. Uh, the 50 points that they scored in this one, season low. They averaged 79 a game, and they only scored 50. Memphis, really, really good defensive team back then, really did a good job on the Zags. Josh Heidfeld had 11. Matt Bolden had just six. Jeremy Pargo had just two. Really, really nice defensive performance from the Tigers. Gonzaga dropped to 1-1 one and one in college game day history. Third game that we want to talk about four years later in that magical 2012-2013 season. This was the least magical game they played that entire year, though, January 19th. 2013 Gonzaga at Hinkle Fieldhouse playing the Bulldogs of Butler and the Zags lost this one and you all probably remember this one if you do not I apologize for having to relive this one with you I was a student at the time this was a really devastating loss Gonzaga was number 13 at the time they ended up climbing to number one later in the season because 
It was a weird year in college basketball. Nobody wanted to be number one. Zags, first time in program history, ended up taking over as the number one team in early March. But at the time, they were heading to Butler, college game day in the house, number 13 ranked team. Looked like they were going to win. Had it in the bag. David Stockton, bad inbounds pass to Kelly Olynyk. Roosevelt Jones picks up the ball coast to coast, hits that floater. Zags lose 64-63. I'm sorry to have to remind you all about this game. I know it was a pretty devastating one. Uh, Elias Harris and Sam Dower led the Zags with 20 each. Kelly Olynyk, of course, during his All-American season had just 14 in this one. Zags again one year later back on college game day. This one at Memphis, another opportunity to play the Tigers, February 8th, 2014 for this contest. The Zags were up 12 in the second half. They're up 12 in the second half. Memphis scored the final 10 points, ended up winning by six. This was Gonzaga's first game against a ranked opponent all season long. I want us to think about that for a second. February 8th, 2014. First time Gonzaga played a ranked team that season. For people, and I know that the people listening to this know Gonzaga's trajectory more than most people. The national audience probably would be shocked to find that out. I know that they are like, oh, the WCC, you know, I know that the the thought process there, but Gonzaga's non-conference schedules lately would never allow them to not be playing ranked teams. This year, they played Texas in the second game of the year. They played Kentucky in the third game of the year. They played in the PK Invitational. They played Baylor. They played Alabama. And this was an unusually difficult non-conference schedule. But it wasn't that long ago that Gonzaga was struggling to find any ranked teams they could play. They found Memphis here, played them first ranked game of the year, up 12 in the second half, blew it. Completely blew it. Sam Dower had 18 to lead the Zags. Guess what? Sam Dower has been Gonzaga's leading scorer in 40% of their appearances on college game day. That's going to drop unless Sam somehow comes off the bench tomorrow against St. Mary's and manages to lead the team in scoring, which hats off to Mr. Sam, friend of the podcast, if he's able to do that, but still a nice accomplishment for him to have been Gonzaga's leading scorer in two back-to-back appearances on college game day. Cool stuff for Sam Dower, one of my favorite Zags of all time. And finally, closing it out, the last time Gonzaga was on college game day, the first time ever that St. Mary's was on college game day. Zags at St. Mary's, Moraga, California. Gonzaga won this one 74 to 64. This is February 11th, 2017. To date, St. Mary's only appearance on college game day, of course, changing might maybe by the time you're listening to this on Saturday. The Zags moved to 26 and 0 with this win. 26 and 0. You will all probably remember that they lost a few weeks later to BYU, the regular season finale for them they ended up making it all the way to the national championship game before losing to north carolina in said championship this is the first time st mary's hosted a number one team in moraga since 1955 many of you can probably guess who that was and you would be correct it is the dons of san francisco and bill russell's squad there Uh, in this one jock lando had 24 for the gales karnowski led the charge for the Zags. He had 19. The Zags win by 10, continue their hot streak that season. We'll see what happens here on Saturday. I'm very excited about this matchup. Aiden Mahaney is a true villain for Gonzaga fans to get behind for St. Mary's. Drew Timmy, of course, been a villain for a very long time. Drew Timmy, Aiden Mahaney, Logan Johnson, Mark Few, Randy Bennett, Julian Strother, Kyle Bowen, Mitchell Saxon. I could go on and on. There are a lot of storylines, a lot of fun things to look forward to. Uh, It's going to be a fantastic game. Like I said, folks, love to hear your stories, love to hear your experience at College Game Day. If you're there, uh, if you're watching from home, whatever it may be, this is going to be one of the most fun Gonzaga basketball games in a very, very long time. I cannot wait. Let's go Zags. 
Check out the show. We've got another episode coming on Saturday, actually. we got one more this week, a bonus episode for you all. Going to be fantastic. Check it out over the weekend, hoping to get it out to you. So those of you who are waiting for the game on Saturday and got something you want to do with your nervous energy, you can check out another episode of the Locked on Zags podcast. We're going to come back on Monday, of course, mailbag. We're going to keep rolling, getting closer and closer to Selection Sunday, March Madness, the best part of the year check out the show wherever you get podcasts find us on youtube subscribe there if you haven't done so already we're trying to get to 1500 subscribers before the end of the year Uh, we got a ways to go we're over 1200 now though but if you haven't done so yet just go to youtube search locked on zags hit that big red subscribe button it is much appreciated all right thank you all for listening and ahead of college game day and a rivalry game against the gales always important to yell it out go zags